Uh, we're going to be in a Christmas series during that season, which I'm really excited about as well, uh, talking a lot about Jesus and the gift that he is in our life. And that Christmas Eve, we're believing for uh, just to see many people come to faith in Christ. And then on December 12th, we are having our once a year, uh, we do one time of year, and above and beyond, above and beyond a tithe offering that goes towards the vision of the church, what we feel God's called us to. It's called our legacy offering. And if you call Catalyst Home, whether online or here in person, uh, we want you to pray and ask God how he would have for you to be a part. Because we believe this, you stepping out in obedience to what God's called you to do in every area of your life, it will draw you closer to him, and you'll experience more of the blessing of following Christ when you do so. Um, and then also this, vision, this, this offering will go towards the vision of what we feel called to as a church. And I'll, I'll, I'll surmise a brief part of last weekend's message. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go on our YouTube channel or podcast and listen to it. Um, but our vision, kind of what we feel called to this next year, three things, three main things. Number one is to reach more people with the good news of Jesus. How many of you know that's a good thing? And just to be clear, uh, I said this last week, but I think it's important, especially in our, our cultural context today. Uh, we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he, he died on a cross for you and for me. He was death buried and he resurrected. Because of him, we have hope beyond this world. And he is the savior of the world. Uh, we believe that. We follow Jesus. We proclaim the name of Jesus. This church is all about Jesus. I said, it, I said it last week. I'll say it again. If you ever go to a church where you don't hear the mention of Jesus, run. Okay? That's not a church. about. We're, we are about Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Come on. I know I'm in the right room. Uh, we're about Jesus uh, so we're going to be focusing on that. How do we reach more people here in the Washington, D.C. area and beyond through our online experience? Uh, many of you tune in from around uh, the country, even world. We have uh, a lot of people who are tuning in, which we'll share more about in the coming weeks from all over the, the globe, really. Uh, number two is develop all generations, develop and disciple all generations. Um, each succeeding generation, statistically, there are less people, less percentage-wise, of people following Christ with each succeeding generation. And here at Catalyst Church, we're going to do our part to reverse that trend in Jesus' name. Uh, so we're going to invest in our children, uh, in our student ministry, uh, which just to be practical, that also includes like today, making church fun for kids. So we're like, hey, you want to dress up and come in? And come on, pray for our kids workers today. I saw a kid in the first service dressed as a unicorn. Come on, somebody. That's hard to teach them about Jesus when they dress as a unicorn, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, and then lastly is to make a greater difference with the Washington, D.C. area and beyond. Uh, we're going to have a report to be able to, we're going to send out to via our newsletter, make available to everybody of the impact your giving and service has had this year. And uh, we're going to show in that, that each succeeding year we've been as a church, we have actually given away more money uh, to outreach and missions. Just so you know, we as a church budget minimally to give away 10% of everything that comes in. We give it away. Uh, to it, places like Interfaith Works, Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless, Martha's Table locally, to places like A21, who fight human trafficking globally, to ARC, who plant churches all throughout the world. We, we give, and uh, we've been giving more every year as a church, and we've been serving more in our community every year as a church because we believe we're called to be a blessing to our community, our nation, and our world, and we're going to keep doing that as a church, uh, which you'll hear more and more and more about. Hopefully, the longer you're a part of this church, the more you can hear we want to always be investing in our community and giving back to our community in practical and tangible ways. One last thing, and then I'm going to start preaching because they started my clock already, okay? So 
You can just flip that over if you want. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, today is a unique day in the life of the church of Jesus. It's what's called as Reformation Day. Some of you know this. Some of you, this is news to you. Back in 1517, October 31st, Martin Luther, um, at the time, was studying scripture, uh, was a student of the Bible. Um, he, he nailed the 95 theses to the wall of the, of the church, uh, uh, the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. Uh, you'll see below, uh, there we go, the five soli, which means only, that were the basis of the 95 theses. And what it was at that time, church leadership were actually literally um, selling salvation, which, just so you know, is not the gospel. Um, they were promoting a salvation by works. And Martin Luther, uh, the basis of his 95 theses were these five onlys, scripture alone, Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone. Um, a total side note, but for those of you who are interested in history, uh, Johann, Johann Sebastian Bach, he actually, on his compositions, when he wrote his music, he would put at the bottom SDG to give glory to God alone. Uh, kind of a cool little historical fact if you like to geek out on that. I know I do. Um, but but uh, I, I shared this because it's important because in that moment, here is the main thrust of what Martin Luther was, was promoting, which is the gospel, which is that we are saved not by works, not by our own righteousness. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen? So we give, God, we give glory to God alone in our life. And uh, it's important. A little fun. If you kind of like this stuff, Google Reformation Day. It's a fun little, you can read some fun stuff about it in the life of Martin Luther. He really revolutionized the church. It was a reformation, but a revolution. Um, through that, churches were started, missions organism, more missions was done. He translated. Up until that moment, the only way you could read scripture or hear scripture was from the pastors. So he actually translated it so you could read the Bible. Now we have the Bible via our phones. You can thank initially Martin Luther for that uh, because of that. So also with that, can I encourage you, if you are a follower of Christ, Christ, read the Bible every day. People risk their life so you can have the scripture, the words of the living God in your palm. But with that says, nothing to do with my message. Well, you did flip my clock. Come on. Y'all love me a lot back there. Come on. So if you miss your lunch plans because I preach long, blame them. All right? Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Beyond, and let me give you some context. I think this is important. I like to give where we are in the broader context of, of Scripture, of the church. There are times, if you read the Scriptures, there are Scriptures, and in the church, there will be teachings that will give you pastoral guidance for everyday life, i.e., we, we did a series in September, October on relationships. We wanted to give you pastoral guidance on how do you navigate marriage and singleness and friendships and and forgiveness, and when you get hurt in relationships. And that's important. But then there's also going to be messages that are going to um, remind us, as Paul wrote, that we are foreigners here on this earth, that this is not our home here on earth, that our, actually our home is in heaven, that we are kingdom citizens. That my citizenship as a United States citizen is secondary to my citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And there are moments that we have to remind ourselves, James, the brother of Jesus, said this, life is but a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. And as a pastor, I have a pastoral responsibility to help give you pastoral guidance for this life, 
but also prepare you for the life to come. Let me tell you two things. There's actually two judgments all of us will stand before God and face at the end of our life. Number one is this, is that we will be asked, what did we do with Jesus? Did we believe he was the son of God or not? And if you're a follower of Christ, you'll then be invited to spend eternity in heaven. That's called the great white throne judgment. All of us, every human, human will face that judgment. If you're a follower of Christ, there'll be a second judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. That's where you'll be asked, so what did you do with the life I gave you? How did you manage your finances for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? How did you manage your time for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? How did you manage how I gifted you for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? I know it sounds pretty weighty on a Sunday morning. You're like, pastor, it's Halloween, okay? Just be easy. I'm trying to eat some candy today. Come on, somebody. But hear, hear, my, hear my pastoral heart of love. My, my heart is not just to prepare, not just to help you in this life, to prepare you for that moment you will stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now you can answer and you can hear then from him, well done, good and faithful servant, that you were able to steward your life here on earth. So this series is going to be shifting our perspective, heaven, or to remind us, preparing us for eternity. This will take us up until the end of November, uh, where we'll kick off our Christmas series. Um, but I hope this series inspires you uh, to begin to have an eternal perspective in everything you do. I hope this, this series also reminds you of our citizenship and that the most of our life will be spent on the other side of eternity, not here on earth. And uh, I want to, our, our kind of main scripture, I want to kind of ground us in, is in Hebrews eleven sixteen, 16. And uh, Hebrews 11 is it's called the Hall of Faith. It has men and women who, who did in great um, accolades for the faith, and, and it's, it's an incredible chapter to read in the Bible. But it says this in verse 16, referring to these men and women, they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What were they doing? In the, in the here and now, they were looking beyond. So here's my hope, church. So in the here and now, the next four weeks, we will, we will be inspired to look beyond this world, to look heavenward, and that, that can inform how we live in the here and now for the sake of beyond this earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. It's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. We pray that you would speak to us today, God, as we open your word. God, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. That same chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 17, where we're going to kind of kick off our, our, our message today. Um, it talks about the, 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 a man named Abraham. If you are familiar with church, you've been around church, you've been following Christ, you're familiar with Abraham and his life. It says this, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. That even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac from death. Now, the passage we'll look at in Genesis 22, to give context of where we are in the narrative of our faith, Abraham in Genesis 12, God came to Abraham and said he would be the father of many nations. Um, now, Abraham at the time was 75 years old, which is, you know, 75 years old. If you are 75 and you are still have breath in your lungs, God still has purpose for you on this earth. Uh, read the story of Abraham and I and, and, and Sarah. Um, and let me just say this, if you are in that realm or you are closer to 75 than maybe younger ages, can I just say this? 
for I'm a 38-year-old individual. I know I look 25, but uh, we need the wisdom of those who've gone before us. Uh, so don't underestimate the power of what you can offer in a community of faith and the people. Uh, we value you. We're grateful for you. Um, so Abraham was 75. The Lord spoke this word. You can be the father of many nations. Well, they had to have a child yet, and Sarah was barren. Um, so imagine someone 75 in your life that they're like, man, God said we're going to have a baby. And they never had a baby. So they believed God. And for 25 years, they waited on the promise of God. It came in the form of Isaac. Isaac is his son. So where this takes place in Genesis 22, to give context of where we are, at 100 years old, Isaac was born. At, this, at Genesis 22, scholars say Isaac was between the age of 20 and 33 years old. So he wasn't a young boy. He was a grown man. He was a young adult man at this point. Uh, that means Abraham would have been 120 to 133. Again, we don't know exactly. Um, most scholars actually think he was more closer to the 30s than he was the 20s. Um, but that's where we are in the context of our faith. Let me also say this. If you are new to faith or new to church, you never heard this story, you're like, what did I get myself into? We are talking about the sacrifice of a son. Where's the door, right? <laughs> Let me say a couple things. Number one, this story is actually a prophetic story pointing to the fact that God would give his son Jesus as the one and final sacrifice for you and me. Um, secondly, spoiler alert, God doesn't let Abraham go through with it. <laughs> so it doesn't happen. Some of you are thinking, this is about to get awkward. It doesn't happen. Um, third, let me say this. Two things, culturally and contextually. Number one, ritual sacrifice was common in that day. So to sacrifice someone was not an uncommon thing in that day. I know today it would sound like, in 21st century United States, that sounds like barbaric, not uncommon. Secondly, it was a patriarchal society, in a patriarchal society where the head of the household had the power of life and death over his family. So this request by Abraham was not like some way out of left field like it would be today in America. Are you following me? So this is not like this like shocking thing as much as we read it as today as it now would be. Um, but I want to give some context because it's important we understand. It is still a significant ask from God. But there is cultural context and relevance to what he was asking Abraham to do. And of course, he doesn't allow him to go through with it. Um, but I want to share today, because Abraham's life was a life that we're going to see led to generational blessing. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus, Abraham is known as the father of our faith. And every promise given to Abraham, we actually inherit in faith. So the blessing of Abraham has been passed on to us in faith. Also, Abraham's life, because he's the father of our faith, he's had a pretty big, made a pretty big difference in people's eternities. <laughs> And I want to draw from this of how can we live a life that, that blesses generations to come? How can we live a life that makes an eternal difference? Let me also say this, to, to show how the ways of the kingdom of God is so contrary to the ways of this world. Prior to Genesis 12, God calling Abraham to do what he's asking him to do, Abraham was a very wealthy and successful man. Listen, God may call you to wealth and success, but here's what I'm saying, God's standard of success is not the world's standard of success. Because in the same way God may call you to go make money and be successful in your workplace, God may also call you to give it all away and to leave that industry. 
That's why we first follow God above all else. And Abraham's life exemplifies this. So, I know you all are so excited now to talk about this. I can just feel it. Um, listen, there are some times where we're going to feel a little bit of a tension. There are some messages that will naturally encourage us and some messages that are going to challenge us. And I don't mean to scare anybody off today, but my responsibility is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and his holy word. Therefore, this series is going to challenge you. It's challenged me, just so you know. Um, but I know we'll be better because of it in Jesus' name. Amen? So let's dive in. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants, his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out to the place God had told him about. They were in Beersheba, and he called him to go to Mount Moriah, which was a, which was a, which was a three-day journey, about 20 to 35 hours of walking, depending on your pace. So he, they, they set out first thing in the morning, both him and Isaac. Uh, mind you, so often in this passage, and we will today, we put a lot of emphasis on Abraham. But as I told you earlier, Isaac was between 22 and 33. How many of you know your boy knew what was happening? <laughs> You're going to see. He knew. He kind of put two and two together. He wasn't some naive little boy. He knew what was happening. And so often we exemplify the faith of Abraham, but we're also going to exemplify the faith of Isaac. Because sometimes you're the one called to make the sacrifice, and sometimes you are actually a passive participant in somebody else's sacrifice. But both require faith. We see that with both Abraham and Isaac, and God tests Abraham. And here's the reality. There will come times in your life where God may test you. That that job that you worked for, that you, you, you sacrificed, you got that master's degree, you got that internship, you worked long uh, early mornings and long nights for, and God may call you to lay it down to go have more time at home with your family. Or, or, or there may be times where you might accumulate some wealth, and there may be a moment. I had a good friend of mine. He was in business, made a lot of money, a lot of money. On two different occasions in his life, God said, I want you to give everything away. He gave it all away. He says, God was testing me. He said this in retrospect. He says, God was testing me to see, do I worship him or the money he's given me. There will come times in your life where God will test you. And can I encourage you, even if it's painful, say yes, Lord, and to have that open-handedness with God. But then there are times tests can come in the form of trials. Isaiah 48.10, God speaks to the Israelites and says this, See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Just to give context of silver, um, silver, to, to purify silver, it's held in the flame. They hold it and keep it in the flame. And while it's in the flame, it's burning off the impurities. It's burning off all of the dross. The longer the silver is in the flame, the more pure it becomes, the more valuable it becomes. And here's what, here's what God said. I don't put you in a physical flame. I put you through the furnace of affliction. I allowed you to walk through, and three times in Scripture, God refers to this phrase, furnace of affliction. It was referring to their bondage in Egypt, their slavery in Egypt. He said there was actually purpose in that slavery in Egypt, that through that, 
there were some things that burned off of you. Have you ever noticed this in your life? I love, if I'm going to be honest, I'll be honest for a moment. I don't like hardship. Anybody else? Come on. You're like, God, take me from glory to glory to glory to glory. Come on. Mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop. I ain't want no valley, Jesus. Like, I know conceptually what happens in the valleys. I don't need it. I'm good, God. Right? But have you experienced this? Man, the mountaintops are amazing. But where you've grown is in the valley. Do you know vegetation cannot grow on the top of a mountain? You know where vegetation grows? In the valley. You want to know where you grow spiritually? In the valley. Do you know where you, you, you actually grow more when you are suffering with an illness than when you are healthy. You grow more in financial hardship than in blessing. You grow more when a relationship ends and when it starts. That's how life works. And here's what I found. It's not always immediate, but when I realize it's my own life, I end up thanking God for the hardship. This was Peter's posture in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In all of this, you greatly rejoice. Mind you, he writes this to people in persecution. So let me give context. Let's imagine I am Peter and you are the recipients of this. You are, you, are, you are Christians, Hebrew Christians. And you right now are being persecuted. Some of you lost your job this week because of your faith. Um, some of you have had your lives threatened because of your faith. And I stand up before here like a loving and compassionate pastor. And I say rejoice that you lost your job this week. Rejoice you're scared for your life. That's what he was doing here. Give context. Sometimes we can read these things and we pass by them. So this is the weight of this. This is how important eternity is, church. That the leaders of our faith are like, man, rejoice when you face natural hardships. He says, though, now for a little while, it's just a little while, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Then he goes on to say, talking about proving the, the, the genuineness of your faith. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, catch this, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can I tell you something else? I think one of the greatest witnesses of a follower of Jesus is not that you have a quote-unquote blessed life, hashtag, too blessed to be stressed. You know the greatest witness I think of a follower of Jesus? When you go through hell on earth and you're still fixated on heaven. And you have the joy of the Lord. And people cannot understand it. They cannot fathom it. That's why Peter says greatly rejoice. Because our hope's not in this world. Our hope is in Christ I was reminded of, uh, you know, how so often what can seem to harm us is actually helping us. Several uh, weeks ago, it was a Sunday morning, so I, I bring our children into church on Sunday morning, uh, so if you ever feel led around 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, pray for your boy, okay? Because um, I am, I am uh, I'm going to war with three children um, <laughs> who don't always listen to me. Um, but one morning, we're getting all ready, normal flow. It's like a busy house. I mean, there's, just so you know, I got three kids. They're eight, six, and three, almost six, three. Our house is loud. There's lots of volume, lots of noise, lots of activity. And uh, all of a sudden, 
my son gets a splinter on the bottom of his foot. How? Something in his room. His room is like a landmine. It's like there's like stuff everywhere. He got a splinter. So I'm like, I'm going to have to get it. I see it. It's like a big one. I'm like, I'm going to have to get it out. So he's like crying. Hannah's like holding his hand. And like, it's just like, I'm like, dear Lord, I hope I just get to church today. Um, and so I, I get a needle and some rubbing alcohol. And of course, he sees that, starts flipping out. Like, oh, no, dad, no. I'm like, son, your dad has to cut this out of your foot. I got to get it out. Because if not, it's going to get infected. It's going to get a whole lot more painful. So he's like, you know, not looking. He's like holding his sister's hand, tears coming out of his eyes. I think Hannah was crying, kind of empathetic. She's like crying with him. And I'm trying to calm him down, stick the needle in. Starts, his foot starts bleeding. He starts crying even more. Then I pull it out. I show him. Then it was like, oh, pressure relieved. And I had this thought. What he thought was harming him was actually helping him. When we walk through hardships, we can actually think, God, are you, are you trying to hurt me? Like, no, son. I'm trying to help you. Have you noticed when you walk through hardship, it's like, I'll give you some, some context. Sometimes when you walk through a financial hardship, you actually learn that you can live off of less. You learn how to manage your finances better, right? When a relationship ends unexpectedly, you realize, man, I kind of had some unhealthy dependence on that person. Or maybe I had some stuff on the inside that kind of came up through the relationship ending that I need to deal with internally. It's often through hardship that God is actually showing us and teaching us and refining us and strengthening us through our hardships. Dr. Tony Evans, I love this. He says, trials are to see if you believe what you believe. They show us if we truly believe what God's word says. Then in verse 7, Isaac spoke up to his father Abraham. Father, yes, my son. He said, the fire and the wood are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I Isaac was trying to put two and two together here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he said, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. The two of them went together. Now, now I want us to put ourselves in this story. You're, you're Isaac. Let's just say, between 20 and 33, half that, you're 26 years old. You're 26 years old, right? You're getting your master's degree at George Washington. And you're walking with your son or your father. He got some wood. Your boy got a knife. And you know you're going to make an offering. You don't see a lamb anywhere. You in the middle of the desert. Ain't no lamb grazing on any field nearby. You say, hey, Dad, well, I got class in like three hours. So um, I see what you got. You got two of the three elements. <laughs> and your dad's like, yeah, God's going to provide. Okay. You know, like, and again, Isaac knew what was going on. It's presumably he did it. He was a man. Like he, he knew that like they were taking this step. They were standing firm. And I believe in this moment, the Bible says that Abraham believed God could raise Isaac from the grave. But I'm presuming here, I presume Isaac also believed God could raise him from the grave. Because if not, he could have overpowered his father. Right? His father was, you know, physically more feeble. As a man of 100 and 26 years old, he could have overpowered him. 
He didn't because they both had faith. See, in Genesis 12, God pr promised Abraham land to his descendants. In Genesis 15, God promised Abraham he would have countless descendants. In Genesis 17, he said, you'll be the father of many nations. Here's what we see in Abraham's life. Abraham was more convinced of the promises of God than the circumstances of life. And there will come a time in your life where you have to decide, am I going to believe in my circumstances or the promises of the one who spoke the world into existence? Let me put it this way. Am I going to believe natural fact more than the higher truth in heaven? doesn't mean we deny fact, right? But we, we acknowledge that there's a higher truth, and I'm going to hold on to the promises of God. I'm going to hold on saying God's coming, but I'm going I'm to believe he can raise Isaac from the dead. You know, there are 8,810 promises in Scripture. You can actually buy these little books called the promises of God that have them listed, which are great. There's all kinds of promises for your life that, that are passed on to us in faith as followers of Jesus. It's important to know those promises. Of course, not, not 8,810 you'll remember, but to have at least a few so you can point to, have them you can reference to in your life. You know, I was reminded of the importance of believing what your Father in heaven says and what he says about you and about your future and about your life. Uh, just this past week, my youngest, Abby, uh, three years old, uh, she came downstairs one morning from uh, getting up, and she came undressed. Her hair was all over the place, but she was fully dressed. And she gets to the bottom of the stairs, and myself, Christina, uh, Hannah and Judah all look at her. And she said, I'm pretty. <laughs> like a little bit of swagger, like, I'm good looking, I know it, okay? Like, she was like fully confident. Just said it unprompted, like, I'm gorgeous, like, you know, like, and I, I told Christina, I was like, wow, I was like, then, then I was trying to put two and two together, why is she so convinced of this? And I thought to myself, and, I, and I'm trying to put pieces together, when I wake up in the morning, I always say, good morning, beautiful, good morning, beauty, I wake her up, that's what I say to her, and I thought, this girl is so convinced, she is beautiful, Nobody could tell her otherwise. She's so convinced. And I thought, God, may I be that convinced of your promises about my life, that you can tell me nothing. That my circumstances may not look like it, but I still believe it. Even this morning, <laughs> she, we were getting in the car, and uh, she started, she said, um, it was like quiet, we're driving. All of a sudden, she said, she said, Jesus loves me. Like, yeah, with some swagger, like, Jesus loves me. And they started singing, Jesus loves me. She led our car in worship. I was like, Hannah, you, let's join in. Jesus loves me, this I know. And can I tell you, this little girl was ministering to me because I was challenged. Do I believe in the promises of God more than my circumstances? Some of you need to have the faith of Abby and say, you know what? Regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to believe the promises of my father because he is good and what he does is good. I'm going to hold on to him. And some of you don't need to hear this. Romans 8 says that he works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, if it's not good yet, God's not done yet. That same chapter, Paul also says, if God be for you, who can be against you? That nothing can separate you from the love of God.
You need to get that into your spirit. Maybe, maybe, maybe work it into a song and sing it, declare it, believe it, hold on to it. Romans 4, Paul wrote, yet he, referring to Abraham, did not waver through unbelief. We're in the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Let me say one last thing about this. We are all susceptible, and I have given into this. I want to speak to it. Because some of you, upon hearing this, might be saying, Jeremy, it's great that God works all things together for good. But he does it for other people, not me. Because maybe, you might say, Jeremy, it's great that God's a healer. But he didn't heal my mom. And there are moments that there is this tension. And I, I wish I could give you all the answers, but I don't have them. But I know that his ways are higher than our ways. There are some things we won't know until we get on the other side of heaven. It's the truth. But I do know this, is that the Bible says his promises are yes and amen, that every word of his word will come to fruition. So I want to just give you some pastoral encouragement to not allow your experiences to become the filter of God's promises in your life, but to allow God's promises to become the filter of your experiences. Meaning when there's an incongruency between them both, you said, I'm still going to hold on to the promises of God even though I don't see it. It's important, church. So stand firm in your faith. Number two, then we've got to surrender our will. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go and the boy go over there. We will worship and come back to you. See the faith he had? We'll come back. He uses the term worship. Now, that term worship didn't mean to lift your voices in your, in your arms like we just did. That word worship literally means to bow down. Like before king, you bow down. Like I am, you are king, I am not. You are Lord, I am not. And what that word worship literally means, it's to surrender your life to God. Do you know when we lift up our arms, if you're new to church, the reason we do this and we worship, do you know why? This is the universal sign for surrender. We're not just like making movements. <laughs> this is to say, God, I am yours. Like, I give my life over to you. That, that true worship is surrendering your life to God and your will to God. Now, this is far easier said than done. Please hear me. Even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane had a moment. Where he, he was like, God, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. He had a moment with the Father. Jesus said this to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus says in this moment, scholars say in this, this statement was essentially, he was asking them to completely renounce their life for the sake of him. Give up everything to follow me. Take up your own cross Lay down your own life. That's when you find true life. That's the contradiction of the kingdom, right, church? Because our, our world's all about what you get. We define life by what you get and what you accumulate. And Jesus said, no, you actually find life when you give it up for me. You completely surrender your will to me, to me and to, to my life. You know, I was reminded of a traditional wedding vow. You know, one of the, 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 the sections of that vow is 
forsaking all others. That's what we do when we follow Christ. We forsake all others, including ourselves. It's when we give the the keys to our life over to Christ. Here's what that means. That means I don't decide whether or not I want to give because Jesus calls me to forgive 70 times 7. It means I don't decide whether or not I want to serve my spouse and my kids because I've been called to be the servant of all. I don't get to decide whether or not I want to love and be kind to those who are my enemies because Jesus called me to love my enemies. I don't decide whether or not I want to live generous and trust God with my finances because I've been called to be generous on every occasion. Are you following me, church? There are some times surrendering your will, you're not going to feel like it sometimes. And, and it seems in contradictory to our therapeutic culture today. And please hear me. As a former psychologist and one who has a counselor, I'm all about therapy. But Jesus is Lord of our life. And what that means, saying, it doesn't, I don't get to decide, well, you know what, God, I don't want to be generous. You know what, God, I don't want to just sleep with one person in my life, my spouse. You know what, God, I don't want to forgive that person who hurt me so badly. I don't get to decide that if he's Lord of my life. Now, if Jesus is kind of kind of your sidekick, like, you know, hey, Jesus, you good? Occasionally, I'm going to ask you for some help, Jesus, but you stay put. I'm going to live my life. Some of you are asking God to bless something that he's saying, I cannot bless disobedience. You want the blessing of God on your relationship? Then live according to God's sexual ethic. You want God to bless you financially? Tithe. The Bible says if you tithe, he'll bless you. You want God to bless you at work, are you honoring him with the way you work? Are you getting into gossip? Are you, I, I know this like, Jeremy, I, I know I'm stepping on toes, but I'm just telling you the truth. Some of you need to stop praying for God to bless something. You need to do what he's already told you to do, and then he'll bless it. Sometimes we, the reason we are not seeing it is because we're not following him. Elizabeth Elliot, a missionary, said this, one does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. It's over and over again. Can I tell you? It's every morning being like, God, I re-surrender to you. God, I re-surrender to you. God, I follow your way again. Listen, you'll never get it perfect. We never will. But it doesn't mean, as Jesus said, we don't seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of living. Then verse 9, they, they get to the place God told them about, the Bible says. Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand with a knife to slay his son. He and Isaac completely obeyed. I said this last week, but I think it's important to reiterate. Um, I was even reflecting my own life this week. and Again, I know this is going to be a challenging word. I'll step on some toes, but I want to I tell you the truth. Partial obedience to God's word is disobedience to God's word. Meaning, think of it in terms of practicals as a parent. If you ask your child to clean up a room, and you come in and half the room still has toys everywhere, as a parent, you're like, you did not clean up your room, right? And we are prone sometimes to kind of go halfway or partial way. 
when God calls us to go the entire way, to fully obey. I had this thought with my son recently. I, I was picking him up from school. I saw his teacher. I said, hey, how's Judah doing in class? This is like the first month of classes. He said, he's good. He said, Judah's smart. He said, but on his math assignments, Judah will rush through the assignment, trying to complete it very quickly. Um, but then he misses some of the problems. So I make him do the whole test over again. So he's learned. If he doesn't fully complete it, he's got to do it all over again. She's like, so now he's learned. I got to do it the right way first time. And here was the thought I had. I was reflecting on my own life. That times, perhaps, I know in my own life, I can recall instances where I felt like I was going in a circle. Like whether spiritually, in an area of my life. And here was the thought I had. Perhaps the reason I was going in a circle in that season of my life because I was living according to partial obedience, not complete obedience. That incomplete obedience can interrupt your progress, spiritually speaking. You may be wondering, why do I keep going around the same mountain? My question for you, is there any area of your life where you have not completely surrendered it to God? Can I encourage you today? Take that step. Completely obey. There was a moment in the Old Testament where King Saul King Saul was a Saul, was a king preceding David. Um, he didn't obey God. And the prophet Samuel called him out on it. And he says this, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of the, lambs, or the rams. Because Saul was like this, Yeah, I didn't do what God asked me to do, but I did this. <laughs> like, I didn't do that, but I did this. It's like, God, I, God, I'm not trusting you in my finances, but I'm reading your word. God, I know I shouldn't be sleeping with her, but I'm faithful to church. And sometimes we can try to justify our own disobedience if we're not careful. If you ever are attempting to justify something with the Lord, can I help you? You're the one in the wrong. And that's what Saul was doing in this moment. God calls us to complete obedience. Is there an area of your life where you're not completely obeying the Lord? I remember I had a person one time tell me, we're talking about the idea of finances. And um, he said, why well, tithe my time? And I said, that's great. I think that's a great principle. But the Bible says to tithe your finances. Your obedience to one command does not alleviate your responsibility to another command. And please hear this. God's instructions are not to be a burden to you. They're actually to, so that you can live more freely and contented. And which we're going to see in a moment how the fear of the Lord brings contentment. Submitting to God brings contentment. Jesus says you surrender your life, you actually find true life. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said, Christian author, theologian. He says, maturity comes from obedience. Not necessarily age. What area of your life do you need to fully obey God? Here's the last point. So we have surrender to your will. And then lastly is to serve the Lord your God only. Serve the Lord your God only. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on that boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know you fear God because you've not withheld your son, your only son. That word fear means to revere, to worship, to surrender, that 
But now I know God is Lord of your life. God was testing him to see, is Isaac what you truly wanted? Or were you, were you, are you, you still following me? Are you still submitting to me? In Deuteronomy 6, the Lord speaking to the Israelites said this, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large and flourishing cities you did not build, houses with all of the good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. The Lord was cautioning the people of Israel because now at this point in history, their life was, they were prosperous. They had more than enough. They were out of slavery. Like they, they were in this moment of like prosperity and abundance. Life was good. They, they, they made it through the pandemic and still standing. And he says, be careful that the blessings I provided don't take my place in your life. If we're not careful sometimes, I've seen this as a pastor now for, I've been pastoring close to 10 years. I've seen people pray, God for, pray to God for a relationship and then they start dating and through dating that person, they distance themselves a little bit further from God. Be careful that that person you prayed for does not take the place of the one who gave you that person in the first place. Or somebody was hoping for a promotion. They get a promotion at work. God blesses them. And all of a sudden, they said, yeah, I've been so busy at work. So I haven't, haven't read my Bible. And yeah, I've been so swamped. I haven't been able to come to church. Be careful. That has not become your little G God. That's what he was saying. Or people start making lots of money and they say, man, yeah, well, you know, one day I'll be generous. Be careful because it was the Lord who gave you the ability to make money in the first place. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is your provider, not your employer and not your giftedness. God spoke you into existence. If you're getting paid because you're brilliant, he gave you that brilliance. My question was, are you honoring him? Be careful. That's why he ends it with this. Fear the Lord your God and serve him only. That Christ, God isn't an accessory. He's not, he has no problem with you having success or you having money or you having a great relationship or kids. But he does have a problem when your work or your money or your kids or your spouse or a relationship or a hobby has his place in your life. If that's you, can I lovingly call you right now to repent today? Say, God, I'm sorry. Because sometimes we can, we can, we can even, maybe if you've been around Christian culture, you ever heard this before? People will do like a Jesus juke. Come on, they'll like say, well, they kind of give an excuse and kind of tie some Jesus over it. Like, well, well, I know God's called me to this workplace, which is why I'm throwing myself into that workplace and not giving myself to, I'm not reading scripture. I'm not, I'm not in community with other believers. Again, obedience to one part of your life does not justify disobedience to another part of your life. It's all of your life. Here's how you can know if you have an idol in your life. Now, some of you think idols, you think of a little figurine, you think of the golden calf in the Old Testament, you think of maybe some other religions that have physical idols. 
But there are idols in 2021 in America. Money, success, sex, they're idols. We worship them in America, don't we? We do. Here's how you know if you have an idol in your life. Ask yourself this question. Be honest with yourself and God. What do you say no to God for? Can I be honest? You know how I know work used to be an idol for me? Because I said no to the Sabbath for years. Because if I was honest, work was my little G God. And I gave myself over to it. And I would, I would, I would violate the Sabbath. Do you know how I knew for, year, for a couple years when I came back to Christ that money was a God, an idol in my life? I didn't tithe. I justified it. I said, God, well, I'm paying off a loan. I justified my disobedience. Money was an idol in my life. What do you say no to God for? That very thing, if you are dismissing God or denying God or disobeying his word on behalf of that thing, and it can be a good thing. It can be your job. It can be your kids. But it's an idol. I want to I call you, as the word of the Lord does, to repentance and to come back to him. Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and the one rests content untouched by trouble. It doesn't mean you'll never face hardship if you follow the Lord and him only, but it does mean you'll be content even in the midst of any circumstance. It does mean you'll have peace even in the midst of pain. Verse 13 says this, and Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day on the mountain, the Lord provided. Worship team can come. This moment the, that Abraham, he, he's about to sacrifice Isaac. He looks to the side. He sees a ram. What's intriguing is two spots of the scriptures, in Old Testament and New Testament, it says that Abraham was actually believing that God would raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham was fully prepared to sacrifice Isaac. He wasn't expecting God's going to be like, throw a ram in the thicket. <laughs> and here's a thought I had. If we're not careful, we can sometimes miss God's provision because it comes in a different package. Because Abraham was expecting one thing, and God sent another thing. Sometimes you're praying for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and God has already sent them. They just don't look like what you thought they would look like. Some of you may be praying God for a healing, and God sent you an open appointment at a doctor. Some of you prayed for God for more margin in your life, and he allowed you to be laid off from your job. Sometimes what we pray for doesn't come in the package we expect, does it? Remember some years ago, it was um, Christmas, and I, I had a Sega Genesis. Anybody else ever have a Sega Genesis? You know you may be old. You're on the other side of young if you had a Sega Genesis. Um, how many don't know what a Sega Genesis is? Some of you might have no idea. Um, but anyways, there was this game I wanted one year. And uh, so it's the end of Christmas, unwrapping gifts. And the only box left didn't look like a Sega Genesis game. It looked like one of the clothing boxes from Macy's. You know what I'm talking about? The ones they give you, it's kind of flat and kind of rectangle, you know? And I was just like, you know, I was like, a, I was like an adolescent boy. I was like, ah, oh, mom, didn't give me what I wanted. 
I was reluctant. You ever seen like a kid open a gift? They're kind of like, you know, one piece at a time, just ripping it open like, oh, this is horrible. Ruined Christmas. You ever think back as a kid, you're like, man, mom, how did you put up with me, right? Um, so I even shook it because I was like, let me just, you know what I'm talking about? You shake it. You're like, let's see. It didn't like move around a lot. So I was like, it's got to be closed. So I rip it open, open the box. It was the game. She stuffed it with tissue so I couldn't move it. It's like, Mom, you're a good one. You're a good one. I see what you did there. It was deceiving. But I was disappointed at first because it didn't come in the package I was expecting. Sometimes we can be disappointed because that's not, that's not how I thought it would be. But can I tell you what I've often found? Even if the package didn't look like what you were expecting, I've often found it's what you needed in that moment. Trust the provider. Here's my final scripture. Verse 15, it wraps up the passage. The angel of the Lord then calls it to Abraham a second time. So I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. He wasn't blessed because his heart was right. He wasn't blessed because he had good intentions. He wasn't blessed because he knew all of the words to the worship songs they sung in church. He wasn't blessed because he knew God's word. He was blessed, why? Because he obeyed. Because he surrendered. Because he didn't go halfway, church. He went the whole way. He said, if you are the same God, if you are the same God who was faithful then, I believe you'll be faithful now. And because of that, I completely surrender my life to you. Because he obeyed. You know, last week I mentioned the message. I felt like the Lord was trying to move us. Surprise, I think he's still trying to move us. <laughs> and here's the reality I had. Even this week, I had this thought in the grocery store. You know, you go into the grocery store and you, you see the produce section and you see like the bananas and the apples and the broccoli and the cauliflower that tries to be pizza crust, but we know the devil's a liar. That's crazy. You ever stop? It's cauliflower. It ain't pizza crust. It ain't bread. Give me bread in Jesus' name, okay? Jesus isn't the cauliflower of life. He's the bread of life, people, okay? Give me some bread, not cauliflower. Rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. People are like, you want cauliflower pizza? What in the world? No, and you don't either. Sorry. Get back. But I had this thought of looking at all this produce. I was like, man, I'm going to go home and bring this, and my family and I will take part in enjoying this fruit. But I didn't plant it. I didn't water it. I didn't cut it back. I didn't care for it. I didn't harvest it. 
I didn't put it on the truck to get here. I'm just going to go home and unpeel this banana and enjoy it. And I thought, man, somebody else did all of this for the fruit that I'm enjoying. Then I had this revelation. I feel like it was the Lord. Can I say this? I know it's the Lord because of this passage because the blessings on Abraham's life is passed down even to us because of our faith. That I am actually living in some, I am actually living out the blessings of somebody else's obedience. That you are actually reaping the blessing of somebody else's prayers in your life. It can be Abraham, it could be a grandparent, it could be your parents, it could be somebody else. I even, when we started this church, I know of a pastor in this area who actually covered this area in prayer before we ever started this church. Can I tell you, we are reaping the benefit and the blessing of that person's prayers. And they may not have rewards on this earth for that, but can I tell you, they will have rewards in heaven for the prayers they prayed. I thank God for them. Here's my question for you. Is your obedience or your lack of obedience to the word of God has eternal and generational consequences. And here's my challenge to you, is to live the type of life that is completely and fully surrendered to God, complete obedience, complete trust, so that like Abraham, you would live a life that would leave blessings for generations to come. And you would make a lasting, eternal difference 